0: Today on
1: Ag News Daily. She looked at me and she said, Mom, I figured out my purpose. And I was like, wow, that's great because I'm still working on mine. And she said, Mom, my purpose, was I was put on this earth to help people.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Thursday. I had to think of it for a second, but it's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And I got to say, Delaney, for it being the first week really back in the swing of things, it certainly flew by. I wasn't expecting that. I
2: agree, Ashton. It
0: certainly has. certainly has. Well, Delaney, I want to just, I guess, go ahead and kick things off here talking about some news today. Not too much is going on, but I have an interesting story, at least to, you know, to me, it's interesting talking about the sorghum industry because it looks like there is some growth potential in the Midwest, specifically in Nebraska. The executive vice president of the Nebraska Grain Sorghum Board says there's a growth potential for sorghum in the state and nationally. Nate Bloom told Brownfield Ag News that the demand for the crop is outpacing current supply. And I got to say, I'll I'll put a little bit of my own input in here. I I think that he is correct because I've been seeing a lot more, not just, you know, sorghum products, but more sorghum consumer products. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. But continuing on here with the story, he also said that sorghum has a premium market in the U.S. as a health product. Bloom says the high demand for the crop and its hardiness and dry weather make it a great option for farmers to add to their crop rotations. Bloom said that Nebraska is positioned to become a hub for the crop because of its geography, making it a central location for shipments around the U.S. Definitely something interesting to think about. And, you know, just going back to what he said about it being a premium market for U.S health products. I thought that was certainly interesting because I had not heard about sorghum being used in the health industry.
2: I haven't either actually and I'm wondering, I don't know enough about sorghum production to know that it that it could or would be, you know, as large of a market as corn and soybeans, but you look at the products that they're used for, I mean, they're used for a lot of different things. Maybe not so much the health side of things, but maybe sorghum is our next cash crop. Who knows? I think they've got to develop the genetics to be able to grow it further north, but I don't know, that'd be an interesting uh, thing to dive a little deeper into. But I also have a very interesting kind of strange story for today as we talk about African swine fever. Um, We've been talking a lot about Germany's outbreak, and so far it's not been, again, reported in any commercial settings, but they ran up to about 300 cases in wild boars. Now, the country's response to this, I think, is quite almost comical. Because to try and eradicate African swine fever, they are basically, state authorities or uh, country authorities have erected miles of fencing. They've deployed tracking dogs. And here's the funny part. They've equipped local hunters and farmers with military-grade night vision equipment and are providing boards for every wild boar cat cadaver that is brought to authorities. Um, so I'm almost picturing Ashton like people out with their pitchforks on the hunt for wild boars. I know that's not really how it looks or w- will probably be amounted to, but it's a little comical to me. Uh, however, the not so comical piece for German producers is that along with these actions, the country is also prohibiting the harving and hunting of any crops within a 10 mile radius of any infected area which is about 175,000 acres untouchable of farm ground if they find a wild boar in that area. You know
0: Delaney that image in my head that that you just put in there I have to say it is quite comical like you said but I I guess I will applaud them for taking those intense
2: measures I would say. Yeah, they're very intense measures, I agree, but I, I, will they work? I don't know. Are they a little unorthodox? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, we will just have to wait and see how that goes, and hopefully the African swine fever doesn't kick up too much more after those measures have been put in place, but I have some more bird flu news, and interestingly enough, it's not about the H5N8 strain that I have been talking so much about the H5N1 bird flu strain has come back. I can't remember off the top of my head, Delaney, when that when that outbreak was. Can you remind me? I know, you know.
2: Well, there was the one we saw back in like 2015. Are we talking about that one? Or are we talking about this year or last year?
0: Yes, I was talking about the one in in 2015. That's the one I had on my mind because the past, you know, however many stories I've really shared have been about H5N8, but Africa has reported an outbreak of the H5N1 strain on a poultry farm. The outbreak occurred in the Theus region of the east of the capital Dakar, and it has killed 58,000 birds in the 100,000 strong flock with the remaining animals cold. So now that it has reached Africa, I'm definitely interested. Well, I say um, that it has reached Africa. This is a totally different strain, but I'm interested to learn more about how, you know, these two strains are are going through. I, I guess you would call this one an outbreak, you know, as well, even though this is the first reported outbreak that I have seen for the H5N1. But I, I just think it's so interesting.
2: It is. And I think human diseases like covid follow similar disease pathways uh, to this one. So I think there's a lot of similarities to draw there, Ashton, that's for sure. Absolutely, Delaney, you make a great point there. Well, let's see, Ashton, besides talking markets, this uh, this other piece of news popped up on my timeline today. And that's looking at plant-based meat alternatives, something we continue to talk about here on the podcast, something that I continue to see more and more popping up on menus as I travel and not really travel right now, but have traveled in the past and uh, have gone out to eat, starting to go out to eat a little bit more with things reopening, but I've seen it on the menu more often than not. And it appears that it's going to be on the menu more often than not for folks in China. They are still the world's largest protein, more specifically meat-consuming country, but plant alternatives apparently are gaining popularity despite the high prices for products like Beyond Meat and others. The uh, nation or the country really has been looking for alternatives. I think uh, this is me speculating here, but I'm guessing after their African swine fever outbreak, they were looking for ways to feed their folks. Plant-based meat was an alternative to that. But Chinese consumers are more and more open to plant-based meat products, which I think is uh, interesting, I guess, to say the least.
0: Yeah, Delaney, I agree with you there that there's been a lot more of a market and a demand I guess for, you know, plant-based meat alternatives. And I just I think that stuff is is super interesting on, you know, how it tastes, how it looks, and how it's developed to be almost identical to meat products. And I think that one thing that consumers need to to keep in mind is the list of ingredients that go into this and then the list of ingredients that go into a ribeye.
2: Absolutely. There's a lot longer list of ingredients. That's for sure, Ashton.
0: There certainly is, Delaney. I just have one other story here before we kick off talking about markets, and it's coming from Argentina. Portside Argentine grains inspectors ended their month-long strike and freed exports. Earlier today, the union representing Argentine portside grain inspectors said it had reached a contract deal with export companies that will allow international soy, corn, and wheat shipments to return to normal. The deal was struck after a negotiation session with Argentina's private ports chamber on Wednesday. So that was yesterday. The network stoppage by the the work stoppage by the union known by its acronym UGARA started on December 19th and had hit operations in key ports throughout Argentina when the strike started, Ugara was joined by the country's main oilseed workers' unions, which recently struck contract agreements and are back on the job.
2: Yeah, you know what, Ashton, I'm glad you brought that piece of news to our listeners' attention because that definitely weighed today on the soybean and corn markets, which we saw dip for the first time, and I believe this was the sixth session, seventh session really, here that we saw soybeans finally start to have a halt on higher prices let's start things off here in the corn market as i mentioned all grains lower today as the march corn contract lost a penny to close at 494 the D's down a quarter of a cent to close at 441 in the swimming pits january down four and three quarters cents today to close at 13.60 and a half the march down six and two quarters cents to close at 13.55 in the wheat pits, Chicago March contract shedding five and a quarter cent to close at six forty-two and a quarter. Of the D's down four to close at six forty-three and three quarters. Taking a look at the livestock markets for today, they were mostly higher. As we saw, the February live cattle contract down just two pennies today to close at one fourteen ninety-seven. The April up twenty-two and a half to close at one nineteen fifty. In the Peter cattle pits, the January contract up ninety-two and a half cents to close at one thirty-six seventy. The March up a dollar. To close at 137.57 and a half. Clean hogs also mixed today as the February contract down 65 cents to close at 69.12. The April up a nickel to close at 73.05 and wrapping up our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. January lost 14 cents today to close at 16.71. The February down six to close at 19.40. Ashton, without further ado, remind us who we're talking to for today's interview. Today is part one of the
0: Rural Opioid Crisis Session that was done during NAFB
3: 20. Let me introduce our speakers. Ray Atkinson is an accredited public relations professional with more than 20 years of experience in strategic communications. He served as the Director of Communications for the American Farm Bureau since July 2016. In this role, he developed strategic communications plans that help Farm Bureau achieve its policy and organizational objectives. Our other speaker today is Connie Guyor, who is originally from Chicago and was a city girl until she married a farmer. Connie is now the co-owner of Guyor Farms based in Monticello, Illinois. She and her husband, John, operate an expansive ag business specializing in corn and soybean production. Connie and John also enjoy raising a herd of boar goats and maintaining a flock of chickens and various waterfowl. In addition to her ag duties, Guyor is also a proud mother of three children and founder of Marissa's Purpose Faith, Hope, and Love Charity. Connie founded the charity after losing her 20-year-old daughter, Marissa McDuff, in a 2016 to an accidental fentanyl overdose. Since then, Connie and her family have been educating, spreading awareness, and trying to help people struggling with drug or alcohol abuse. As part of her charitable efforts, she provides Narcan training and gives free Narcan to those in need. In her free time, Guyor loves to cook, bake, go for long walks, fish, and spend time with her family, and paint with her youngest daughter, Julia. Let's welcome Ray and Connie. Thank you guys for being with us today. Thank you. Well, uh, to get us started here, uh, Connie, maybe share a little bit more of your story. Tell us how you got to where you're at today.
1: So Marissa was raised in a very healthy environment, and she was also involved in our church charities causes. She loved animals. She loved um creating new creations she loved to bake and cook and she was a very caring endearing and adventurous person she had a horse named blake and she loved to ride she did 4-h um she would barrel race and she took first place uh at the rodeo one year she was a really strong swimmer and she would um she was involved in so many clubs and sports marissa was a student from Monticell High School, and it was her freshman year. At the age of 14, Marissa was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes. That was the same year that we had to put her horse down, which was a very difficult time for her. Um, She started to develop depression, and um, I noticed that she started to change her friends, and I could see a change in her behavior. And then she became more depressed. And then Marissa began smoking cigarettes and um, drinking alcohol and trying to fit in with a different crowd that she normally didn't um, hang around with. And the alcohol and the diabetes didn't mix. So from there, she started to explore with marijuana and cocaine and um, When she was 16, she had threatened us that she was going to drop out of school when she turned 17, because she felt like school was a waste of time. So my husband and I had to make a very, very difficult decision, and we decided to send her to a private school. Uh, This private school we sent her to was in Arizona, and it was an all-girls school, it was very therapeutic for her, and she excelled like crazy. She uh, was a straight-A student, and she got all straight A's. She graduated a year early from high school because she just had that will. Uh, this school was very therapeutic because they incorporated therapy to help them find themselves and also to give them the confidence and Um, understand what they're going through. You know, different kids had different varieties of reasons for being there. And it was very helpful. Uh, When Marissa came home from school, she looked at me and she said, Mom, I figured out my purpose. And I was like, wow, that's great, because I'm still working on mine. And she said, Mom, my purpose was I was put on this earth to help people. And I was like, wow, that's great because so many kids struggle with diabetes and you would be great helping kids get through this. And she's like, no, mom, this is going to be way bigger. So who would have ever thought it would have turned into this? Um, When Marissa started uh, college, she was a year ahead of her peers and um, she was doing great. But the group of friends that she found as she was going to college turned into a disaster because she was out one night with a gentleman that I've never even met. But she overdosed in his car while using fent- um, while using cocaine that was laced with fentanyl, and he did take her to the hospital to. All he did was drive through the parking lot, they've got him on film, and then he decided he wasn't going to go in. So he took her to a wooded area, he left her there, covered her, and she passed away on her own by herself there. When I got the call that she had passed away, I had no idea what she had passed away from because she had diabetes and... They didn't have a taxology report for 10 weeks. So once they told me that she passed away from overdose of cocaine fentanyl, I didn't even know what fentanyl was. So I had to do some research. And doing my research, I found out that fentanyl is actually 100 times stronger than heroin. And this is what they're lacing the street drugs with because it's a cheaper form of um, an opioid that they can put into like heroin or cocaine or even marijuana they're putting it into right now. And um, it's so cheap and it gets people so addicted and they don't actually measure it. So they just um, mix it in and, um, it's a hundred times stronger than heroin, so that's why so many overdoses are happening. This is this is this is why we're having such an abundance amount of overdoses. Is this fentanyl? It's a synthetic opioid, and um, to give you an example, uh, three or nine little granulars of like sugar could drop a grown man of fentanyl. So that's a very small amount. They're also using carfentanil, which um, is even stronger. It's an elephant tranquilizer. And they're putting this in street drugs. And kids and people don't realize that this is what they're getting. And unfortunately, those who are already addicted to opioids, they don't care because they just want to get their fix. They just need that to get through the day. They're not getting high from it anymore. So what I try to do now, after learning all of this, um, the only thing I can do is uh, live Marissa's purpose for her. So education is, I think the only way we're gonna get through this, um, education and prayer, because um, people don't realize what's being put into these drugs and now, they're um, vaping, and vaping is going to be the new carrier for these drugs. This is going to be the new way that they're going to be able to use these drugs because they're already making uh, vape pods with marijuana in them, with uh, um, different types of drugs already in the pods. So they're already starting to do this. Um, the vaping is people can use it as a tool to... Um, help themselves cut back on cigarettes, I guess, if they're using it the proper way. And if they are of age and they know what they're doing, but kids in schools and middle schools, 75% in high schools, 75% of kids are using vapes. Um, 50% in middle schools. I mean, my daughter's in middle school, my youngest. And I brought a speaker through the Pyatt County and Macon County and um, some parts of Champaign County. And he spoke to the kids about vaping. And I had these same kids come to Marissa's Purpose Race that I that I host every year. And they were like, thank you for bringing that speaker in, because it really made a difference in my choice. And that's kind of what I'm doing is I'm trying to educate these kids and parents and anybody that will listen that This is a very serious subject, and we really need to get a control over it. Um, I usually every year I try to have a a 5K race. This year we did a 5K race with a a, um, 11-mile bike ride and it was very successful we had it at allerton park in monticello and in the meantime we try to educate at this race too and have fun with it and we did the social distancing and everything and it was it was wonderful um, we do narcan training if um, somebody needs narcan we have it readily available we give it to them for free because that can save their lives Um, Narcan is a reversal for opioids so if somebody is overdosing it will if you give them the Narcan which is either a nasal form or uh, injection that will reverse the effects of the opioid it won't hurt them if they're not overdosing on an opioid but it will definitely save their lives for 45 minutes to an hour and that'll give you enough time to Go to the hospital or get them some some care um, we also um we've helped six people this year get into to um to find recovery um we don't pay for it but we give them the resources we give them the phone numbers that they need and um, try to help them any way we can we've actually had one of the people that we helped uh, start an NA meeting here in Monticello on his own, and I thought that was very courageous of him.
0: Again, that is. Part one of our final episode featuring NAFB 20 content. As we are saying goodbye to 2020, it's our our final wrap-up, I guess, of of that conference. But hopefully here in 2021, we will be able to do some more conferences and events in person. But until then, you can always go on our website and listen to the content that we have there at agnewsdaily.com. And follow us on social media while you're at it, at agnewsdaily. Without Delaney, should we let the people go?
2: Let's let them go.